0: Now, it came to pass after these things, and those things would be the many days that Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines, the previous verse from chapter 21, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there. "'placed the wood in order, bound Isaac, his son, "'laid him on the altar upon the wood, "'and Abraham stretched out his hand "'and took the knife to slay his son. "'But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven "'and said, Abraham, Abraham. "'And so he said, Here I am. "'And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad "'or do anything to him, for now I know "'that you fear God, since you have not withheld "'your son, your only son, from me. "'Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, "'and there behind him was a ram caught "'in the thicket by its horns.' So Abraham went and took the ram and offered up for burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I've sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sand which is on the seashore." And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. As I mentioned, the first verse gives us the context. This is a test of Abraham's faith. We saw back in chapter 15 that Abraham believed God and was accounted him as righteousness. Back in chapter 15, the progressive promises to Abraham concerning his son Isaac have been unfolding. You recall back in Genesis 12, God told Abraham to leave Ur- the Chaldeans, modern Iraq, and go to the land which is now modern Israel, to a land he would give him for a great nation would come from him. That's the original revelation to Abraham. Then in that promised land, There in Genesis 15, he had already affirmed when Abraham walked upon the sand of the land, the dirt, he said, more than what you see, I'll give you all this land, but more than what you see will be your descendants than the the sand you walk on. So he's expanding the promises. Then in chapter 15, when he said, you're going to have many descendants, and from you, a great nation is going to come. And Abraham says, what do you going to do? The heir of my house is, is not even my own child. It's my servant, which would have been Eliezer. And God said, look to the stars, and you'll have more descendants than the stars. And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted or reckoned to his account for righteousness. He was declared righteous, positional righteousness, a right standing. Then we know, as things went forward... Isaac was born. Isaac means laughter. And before Isaac was born, God affirmed to Sarah, his wife, that not only would a nation come from this son of promise that was beyond them, but nations and kings. Remember, the promises kept expanding. And then it came all the way back to, simply put, that Sarah would have a son. Sort of like, I love all these grand promises, but can we just get to step one? Having our son. Like, that's what's real for us. Future generations, nations, kings, awesome, but can, can I just have a son? And that's how it works. Those promises are so expansive, like the universe just expanding, but they come back to such simplicity to the hairs on our head. And God gave her the son, Isaac, which means laughter, and she said, all will laugh with me. So these promises have been affirmed, and Abraham believed God and was accounting him for righteousness. He's got a right standing. Just like when we give our life to Jesus Christ, We have a right standing in him. We're declared righteous because when we receive Christ, the Father sees the Son in us. So we're forgiven of our sins. Jesus paid the price. And his righteousness is imputed in the same way or reckoned to our account. So when we give our life to Christ, we're born again in the Spirit. We receive him as Lord. We pass from death to life. And we're declared righteous. That righteous standing does not change from a good day or a bad day. It's a positional righteousness. And it's affirmed to us through our faith in Jesus Christ three times in the New Testament from the example of Abraham believing the promises of God in Genesis 15, 6. So what Abraham did is a shadow and a type that sets us up to be born again by the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. So he's the forerunner, the black and white version. We're the full color surround sound version of being justified by faith, righteous positioning. So this is what we've seen Abraham so far. He waited three decades for what he believed in to happen, and then Isaac was born. So he doesn't need to faith to believe in the son of promise anymore because at 100, when his wife was 90, there's laughter in the home, and the child is literally called laughter because all is gonna, everyone's going to laugh with us, and we talked about the joy of the Lord in that. So he doesn't have to believe in the promises anymore in that sense because we know faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. So he had to live by faith for three decades with Sarah waiting for the son of promise who was no closer 25 years into it than the day God made the promise, but he believed and had that righteous standing. And then the son of promise came. But then, now this story is the test of his faith. It's the test of his faith. And our faith is tested. Our faith in Jesus, our faith in the character of God, the promises of God, we will all be tested. Our lives are tested Make no mistake about that. There's lots of tests that we face in the human experience, but this is the test of faith for the father of faith. Now, the New Testament interprets for us this event. So for to understand Abraham's test, we're told in Hebrews 11 that from the time God spoke to him, go to Mount Mor- go to this mountain in this region, that he considered Isaac as good as dead. Now, Isaac was always the Lord. There's a psalm that says... The fruit of the womb is his reward. Whatever opens the womb is his reward. We often think of our children being our children, but really they're all entrusted to us by the Lord. They really belong to the Lord. The sooner we understand when we're carrying a child or raising a child or filled with joy or grief from adult children, they belong to the Lord. And we have to keep giving them back to the Lord. Now, in the context here, when this happened, Many days had gone by. And after these things. And the young men refers to young adults. And when Abraham says, the lad and I will go yonder and come back, he's using the same word. It's the exact same word. So as it's interpreted as young men, and Abraham calls him the young lad, and it's the same word. And there's every reason to believe contextually that it's not like Abraham took a five-year-old and went up to Mount Moriah. But he took an adult male, like one who had registered for the draft under conscription. And like all young men who are so bold, in that strength of youth. But in this case, Isaac has faith. Now, Isaac's going to be in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 as well. So he's a man of faith. He's a young man of faith. But we have every reason to believe there was nothing forced here, but actually that Isaac submitted himself to his faith in God in this situation and submitted himself to his father in obedience to God the Father in this situation. The faith was tested. Now also, in this understanding, we're told that when Abraham took off with Isaac and the lads, that he considered Isaac as good as dead. He gave him to the Lord. He was dead. He already belonged to the Lord. He's not mine. He's the Lord's. And we're told in Hebrews 11 during that three-day journey, that he already considered him dead. But because all those promises in you will come a nation, Genesis 12. You're be more than the dust of the land of Palestine. Genesis 15, more than the stars you can see over Palestine. And progressive revelation, Genesis 17, when the circumcision, the sign of the covenant. Nations, kings, including all the, the Jewish kings, and the good kings and the bad kings. And the king of the Jews, Jesus, who is the king of kings. They'll all come through this son, Isaac. Now, Abraham believed every one of these promises in his son. So whatever God's doing here, he's got like, okay, but I'm being tested. And I know whatever happens when I go up there, this son's coming back with me. Because all that I have believed in for decades, now probably four or five decades, is bound in the life of this son. And whatever God's doing... I can trust him with this. And from his own confession, he said, the lad and I will go yonder and we will return. But we're told that when he came down from the mountain, Hebrews 11, interpreting this from the New Testament, says that he received his son back as if he was resurrected. Now, Abraham believed God for a resurrection for his son when he had no type or shadow in the Old Testament prior to this that we know of biblically of a resurrection. So the three days he's walking about Moriah, he's believing God to do something that's never been done. It's like marrying the virgin birth. How will I know this to be? And Gabriel said, you will be conceived by, by the Holy Spirit. It's, the conception will happen this way. That's how it's going to work. And she said, well, let it be to me as the Lord has spoken. Now, when Zacharias, when Gabriel came to Zacharias and said, your wife who's past childbearing will have a son and you'll, call him, you know, you'll be John the Baptist, He said, how can this be? And the angel said, you're not going to talk for nine months because you didn't believe me. Zacharias had precedent to believe it. Because Genesis, there's Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel were all past that situation. He had a prototype by which the angel Gabriel had him accountable for from the Old Testament. But in Abraham's case, he has no prototype. He has no shadow. He is the shadow of things to come. And he believed that he would come down that mountain with that son as good as dead going, and whatever's going to happen up there, the lad and I will go up, and we will come back together. And thus, we're told, he received him in a resurrected sense. His faith was tested. It never wavered. And we're told, in the book of James, that this was the crown jewel of his justification by faith. For decades before, he was justified by faith by believing the promises of God in Genesis fifteen six, And on this day, on Mount Moriah, when he bound his son and put him on the altar and did not withhold his arm. He was right there. And it's amazing to think that his hand raised with that knife is the greatest moment of faith in human history. And I argue that it is. I argue that it is. Because it's the example of all faith, from the father of faith. If he's the father of faith, and this is the crown jewel of his faith, this is the greatest act of faith in human history, biblically. The knife is back. And at that moment, when the Lord spoke to him from heaven... You've not withheld, then we're told again in the New Testament that this is where his justified faith, positionally, was proven practically by the act of obedience. And the Holy Spirit interprets for us this act of action proved the testimony of faith five decades before. This act right here shows he's the real deal. He's walking the talk. He's not just talking the talk. He's walking the talk, and he's not putting his son to death. Whatever's going on here, he's obeying God, and he knows he and the boy are coming down from the mountain no matter what happens in the next three seconds. God is good, and God is light, and him is no darkness at all. And God had always been faithful to Abraham and will always be faithful to Abraham and to his people. And it's right there that his faith was not only tested and affirmed, but his righteousness Declared by believing is proven by the actions that follow faith. Not self righteous works by which we could never justify ourselves, but the works of faith that come by people of faith. For it's God who wills and works in you for his good pleasure. He's our prototype. So this is his test, and he passed it. But it's a type, too, of course, of the Father and the Son. For it is at this Mount Moriah where Jesus Christ was crucified 2,000 years later. And some interesting. Connections, three days, of course, Jesus was in the tomb, three days and three nights, whereas there are a few witnesses going up, but it was a private holy moment, really, once they were there, when Jesus was crucified, it's a public moment for everybody, for he's hanging on that cross with the sins of the world, and Jesus on the cross is probably the most identifiable public image in human history Since the time that Christ came publicly outside the city, as the Bible tells us, the Father and the Son went together twice. It says for Abraham and Isaac that they were together on this journey together and they're in fellowship. Where's Jesus and Janet? Excuse me. Where's Jesus in John 17? He's in fellowship with the Father in the garden. And he says, Father, if there's any other way. So here's Abraham 2,000 years before, the same spot with the knife drawn back. And Jesus saying, Father, if there's any other way. There was no other way. And 2,000 years prior, a shadow things to come, Abraham's a type of what must happen for our sins to be forgiven. He's a type. Because the Father has prepared a sacrifice for himself, and that sacrifice is his son, Jesus Christ. For by the blood of bulls and goats, no one can be saved. And there's no unrighteous who can die in our place. But only one who is eternal and sinless can pay the price for those who are sinful and condemned eternally. And Jesus Christ is the acceptable sacrifice. And that's the blood of, cro- that's the blood of God on the cross. This was a type. And you go, oh, you just cringe. Like, oh, this story just makes me cringe. It should. Because sin is, is dark and destructive, and death, and sin's not a joke, and sin destroys, and Christ, if we could be redeemed any other way, we would have been redeemed any other way. If we could go climb uh, Big Bear Mountain, like Chris Gonzalez did last year, you know, go climb Gregorio or something, and my sins are forgiven. If we could swim across the Colorado River, like some religions do in their lands, and our sins could be washed away, we could do it. Or if we could knock on enough doors and not cuss for a couple of weeks or whatever, 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 we might be saved, but we could never be saved. And Galatians tells us that if we could be saved, then Christ died in vain, but he did not die in vain. He died because we could not save ourselves. He had to die. So here's Abraham and Isaac, 2,000 years. And 2,000 years is a long time before, isn't it? That's a long time. But in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under law to redeem those who are under the curse of the law. This couldn't do. God has prepared his own sacrifice. Which brings us to three characters of types in this story. Two are a type of Jesus. Isaac, of course, is a type of Jesus. But that lamb, that ram, is a type of Jesus too. And of course, there's the father. The father did not withhold his only son. These are only sons. God does not acknowledge or recognize Ishmael, the other son, the son of the flesh, of being in the equation. The promise is in the son of promise, Isaac. Take your only son. So this story teaches us how deep sin is and how necessary its judgment and the wrath and expulsion of sin must be in our life. Whatever could offend anyone with this story or just think, wow, it's so, ah, it's just so, man, it's a a heavy story. Yeah. And, And so is Jesus, the son of God on the cross. We live in a timeline in, in the human experience. It's human nature anyways, but we live in a timeline where people are pretty flippant about sin in the name of Jesus. Those missionaries historically that went in and put their life in great peril to go share the gospel, again, Hudson Taylor is an example. He just saw millions of souls, Chinese souls, passing every month without ever hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And he knew the way to sin. And, of course, the famous story where the old man said, how long have you had this truth when he got to inland China, finally near the end of his life? And he said, well, we've had it for a couple thousand years. And he said, why did it take so long to get here? The father gave the son. The son yielded. And the Lord provided his own sacrifice for this situation. And he did it right there at Golgotha at the place of the skull. This event took place within a mile of where Golgotha is, if not exactly at that spot. The high mark of Mount Moriah is the place of the skull where Jesus Christ was crucified, of Mount Moriah. This is it. There's no randomness with the Lord. This is deliberate and absolute to teach us amazing grace. And it really is about our salvation and about the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice for us and for the forgiveness of our sins. But we are called to live a life of faith. For as Abraham was justified by faith. And he was accounting for righteousness. He still waited on the Lord. He learned to believe those promises. While waiting on the Lord. He learned to. That his flesh couldn't bring about the things of the Lord. But you just. He had to wait on the Lord. And he had to obey the Lord. And we talked about this when Isaac was born. And he was circumcised. And they did everything they were supposed to do. And he obeyed and he obeyed and obeyed. And again. Book of James says that this act by Abraham is the crown jewel of evidence of proof that he is saved by faith because he did not withhold anything, the most precious thing in his life. But the Lord gave that son to him because it, it, the son was beyond him. God promised that son. The son belongs to the Lord. Sometimes we see the Lord promises something, we get it, and then we say, that's mine now. That's my house. That's my car. That's my college education. That's my career. That's my, you know, like we do that. It's all the Lord's. It is all the Lord's. And it's all meant to be on the altar. I mean, Jesus said, unless you deny yourself, we're not worthy to be called his disciples. He is, has supremacy over all things. But Abraham here, and because of this act right here, here's what goes a little bit deeper. He's also called the friend of God. The friend of God. Now, there's not a lot of people called the friend of God specifically in the Bible. The friend of God. So as we think about amazing grace by which we're saved, we can think of some application because I shared this text Saturday night. Excuse me. I shared this text Tuesday night. Slightly different. But in meditating on this text, I really think about when you and I, and we are tested by God. We have our faith tested, and that's what I want to talk about the rest of this night. Taking steps of faith. Paul said we walk by faith, not by sight. And we're told that our faith is tested. We're to add to our faith and to keep growing in our faith. Faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we're not to get a faith that gives us a, a an experience, if you will, to go forward at a harvest crusade or pray with someone to receive Christ and then re- retract in our faith. The faith is to, to expand. As it says, as dimly in the mirror, now we see, but we're expanding from glory to glory. So even as these promises kept expanding to, for Abraham in his journey, God wants our faith to expand and grow. And what's not a faith, Romans says, is sin. So we want to be fluid in our faith. We want to be open in our faith. We don't want to compartmentalize God and say, well, you can be Lord of this, but not Lord of that. Or I, I did my time. I did. You know, we, we have our stories from back in the day. The Lord's story is today for all of us. But our faith is tested. You know, we all have tests. Let's think about tests we have. SAT for college. Driver's test. Adults, parents that have kids that have, remember how nervous your kids were for their DMV? And you took them down the DMV and you're like, "No, oh, Lord, please be, please help them. Hannah failed twice. She got the third time. The first time she failed, she failed pulling out of the DMV. <laughs> it's all part of life, right? All the other kids ace it the first time. It's a running joke in the family. <laughs> the big sister, you know. Hannah's got a good response for everything, though, so I don't worry about her being too vulnerable to the civilians, the younger ones. We all have tests. Cousin Jimmy, my sister's Katie's. Got some major final tests to graduate the police academy, a year's worth of hard work. They're down to like thirty from the sixty, and they say about twelve will make it when it's all said and done. The written test, the physical test. He's so nervous. You know, he dropped out of high school, could barely read and write, went back to junior college, has they've worked with him all year to help him with writing police reports so he can pass the test. Oh, we get tested. And these tests, see, everyone gets, you know, you want to drive in California, everyone gets a DMV test. you want to go to Cal State Maritime, they can test you for weed anytime. time. It might be legal to smoke weed in California, but if you're going to drive a boat, it's not. And you can't drive a boat smoking weed, so they'll test you. Just ask my son, Timmy. But these kind of tests are for the people of faith. See, there's a commonality of tests in the human experience, but there's tests that are for people of faith. And you know, Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required, but also to him who has, more will be. they will, they will have more. Many are called, fewer are chosen. And do you realize that people that God uses the most, it may not seem so profound in what you're seeing outwardly, but the people that are spirit-filled and they're the most Christ-like that you know of, man, they have been refined by fire, and they have been through tests, and they've put their Isaacs on the altar, and they've put their dreams on the altar, their heartaches, their hurts. They've put them on the altar. We get tested. We get tested in our faith. That's the context. And who knows how we'll be tested in our faith before our journey's done. Will we trust in God on this? Or will we just walk? Well, this is what I would say in application. I love in verse 2. Where God says, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, affirming what is obvious. Offer him, and go there and I'll tell you, I shall tell you. In verse 3, Abraham says, he rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. You ever had those mornings? You ever had those mornings where you can't sleep the night before because you got to put the dog down first thing the next morning? Or you got to say goodbye to someone that you might never see again? Or you're going to the cancer doctor? and you've got a bad feeling about it. You ever had those mornings? You know, there's there's times you go to bed at night, and that day is the biggest giant imaginable. It's your mother's funeral. It's your child's funeral. It's the day that you know they're going to pass. I'm so glad that Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us in any test. Though I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. So whatever test that we go through in our faith, Jesus is right there with us. Now, we may not feel like he's right there with us, but as Bill Bright used to say, fact, faith, feeling. Remember Bill Bright, Campus Crusader Christ? He had the engine and and then the the cab and then the caboose. But he's with us. And when we're tested in our faith and God says, go, go. If he says, stay, stay. Speak, speak, be quiet, be quiet. Whatever our faith might require that's taking us to the altar where it's all going to be on the altar, we need to go for it. I, I was looking at this verse three and it just, he rose early in the morning. I'm I just trying to imagine how Abraham slept that night. Did he sleep well or did he sleep difficult? I don't know. But he rose early and he saddled the donkey. How many times did he arose early in his life? This morning was not like any of those mornings. It's not like going to work on the 405 to the 110 or the 605 and going, you know, this is a different kind of, it's a different kind of early. Man, I've had some days that they just took so much faith. God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I just don't know how I'm going to do this. Funerals, visitations. I pulled up the houses going like, God, I'm begging for mercy right now because I'm so at a loss. For what I'm going to say when I knock on that door. God be with me. Oh, God help me. Funerals, visitations. Man. But you got to get up and you got to get after it. You take the steps of faith. When the Lord said, Go to door for me, go door to door for me in Burlington, Vermont, I'm like, Man, I know how this is going to end. And it ended exactly like I thought it would, it didn't go well. My life was threatened the very first house I tried to share Christ with. A drunken man chased me off his property, cursing me by the name of Darwin. He was proclaiming Charles Darwin and cursing me. But you gotta get after it. We gotta get after it. We have to get after it. Our faith tells us that if you, if you, you can overthink it, and you can talk yourself out of it. When you hear the voice of the Lord, go for it. How about Samuel as a child? And the Lord says, the third time, it's the, Eli told him, it's the Lord. And then he, the, Samuel asked the Lord, what am I supposed to say? He's like the age of Buck back here or, or younger. And he says, you tell him it's a bad ending for his kids. That's his ministry. He's a kid. And the Lord tells him, you go tell the high priest it's a bad ending for his kids. And I've seen it all. And what did Samuel do? Uh, and Eli said, don't withhold anything, and he told them everything, and what did Samuel become? A great prophet who anointed King David to become king, and reproved Saul for when he was a bad king. You got to go for it. You got to rise early, settle your donkey, and get after it. So the next thing like, should I do this? Get up early, and settle your donkey. Just say, I'm saddling my donkey, and It's already. It's all as good as dead. Everything's on the altar. God's going to resurrect it. Like Esther before the king, if I live, I live. If I die, I die. But, you know, let's get up early, saddle the donkey, and let's get going. And that's how it's supposed to be. And how awesome it is to be someone that can be like that in their heart, whether they feel they have great impact or minimal impact. But also we see that, I love where in verse 5 here, where Abraham said, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and together we'll come back. And then he said again in verse 8, my son, the Lord will provide himself an offering. His faith never wavered. And when you're being tested by faith, stand firm in your faith. And we've been saying this regularly with Abraham, but when you come what you don't understand, fall back on what you do understand, the character of God. So much what tests our faith is a test of our belief and confidence in his character that God is good and does good and, and tastes and sees the Lord as good. So when we're faced with the storms of life, the trials of life, the tribulations of life, the tragedies and the, and the huge testings, we, we can learn from Abraham here that as he got closer and closer to the place where he's going to put his son on the altar and his faith will be proven, he just says he speaks his faith like he speaks the faith. He speaks with his heart is revealed in his words because the Bible says "Out of the abundance of heart does a man speak and look what he says. The lad and I will go yonder and we will come back. His faith has not moved. His faith is steadfast immovable. It's like Paul in the book of Acts. Everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit tells me bad things in Jerusalem, but nor does this bother me or anything because I'm going to run my race that God has entrusted to me. These things do not move me. Do not let things move us from our faith when our faith is tested. I just love how it's like in the cruxable, in the apex of the intensity of this human experience of faith, where his obedience is being proven, he just says, hey, We're going up and we'll be back. He's he's speaking his faith. Not in a way that you're creating a virtual reality like a lot of people misunderstand this, but it's revealing his heart. And I want my words to reveal faith. I want my words to reveal optimism in the promises of God, confidence in the promises of God. Big God, little problem. Little God, big problem. It's so simple. So we look at Abraham and from his heart, or the abundance of a heart as he speaks, we look and see his faith is a strong faith and it's unwavering faith. And he's speaking the promises. He's declaring with his mouth before things happen what he sure is going to happen because God's character is good and God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's not going to change. And we can trust his promises from the base of Mount Moriah to the pinnacle of Mount Moriah and back down to the base of Mount Moriah. I love it. But I come back to this last verse that really gets us there. Verse 9 and 10, where he built the altar and the knife was pulled out. And I close tonight with our vision of this, our, our visual of this. When our faith is tested, it is really, really crucial and important that we see it through to the fullest obedience of what God has called us to do. It is really crucial because the testimony of the faith was in the final moment of the faith. Five decades of prayer and fellowship, five decades of trusting in the Lord, the promises expanding, retracting, and all these things, but never changing. Five decades and all that he's been through, and the birth of Isaac, and the circumcision of Isaac, and right here when that knife is drawn, that is the moment that's the crown jewel of his faith. We have to see it through. It's too early to quit. It's too soon to give up. We have to see it through. We need to be faithful unto the end because the Bible is filled with so many people who were not. And we want to be people who are. And we want to be like Paul at the end of our life and say, Hey, they left me, they left me, whatever, whatever, but the Lord stood with me in everything. I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, and I've finished the race. He was going to the crown of glory. Not just for him, but all those who love his appearing get the same crown. We need to see it through. Faith isn't an increment. Faith is everything on the altar. Whatever it is, we need to see it through. Or then we just end up like Saul saying, oh, but I did, I did do what you said. And Samuel's like, really? Then why do I hear the, the, the bleeding of sheep right now? You didn't do it. You just did what you wanted to do. To obey is better than a sacrifice. Samuel said to King Saul in the reproof of Saul, that was the end of him being recognized as the king before the Lord. So I encourage us tonight to learn from this story, to sit back in awe of Abraham contextually just passing this test, to sit back in awe and say, Lord, you're amazing. This is a type of what you did to save me. But to take this application and say, you know what? Get up. Saddle that donkey and go for it. And speak like you believe those promises, not because it creates a reality, but it testifies of what you believe that is the reality coming from your heart. Speak the truth, because truth doesn't change like Luke, my son would always say. You don't, the truth doesn't need any help. It stands on its own. And when our confidence in life is based upon the truth of God's word, it's going to always see us through. Not one promise has ever failed, nor will ever fail for any of us. And then see it through. See it through until the Lord says, You're done. We're good. Let's go. Come on home. Here's the trumpet. But see it through. See it through. Because man, Abraham could have gone there like and pleaded with the Lord. Like, can we get okay? I don't see anything happening here. When did he see the ram? After he was here. He didn't see the ram before that. You know when God will bring us to those places. Everything on the altar all in no holding back in the test of faith because seriously look at yourself in the mirror right now and ask this question and i ask myself the same question what could possibly be more important than passing the tests of faith that god gives each one of us in our timeline